0: be filled with the holy spirit and it's a quotation from ephesians 5:18 or don't uh, quench the holy spirit the interesting reference to the holy spirit and this is part of a series that we are pursuing and we've come to this uh, challenge now for all believers at all times of all backgrounds that we are to be filled with the holy spirit and the context is, don't get drunk with wine, instead be filled. And it's interesting, often alongside this spirit fullness are certain characteristics. And uh, often these characteristics can be manifestly lacking within lots of churches, even churches who emphasize uh, the frequency of spirit fullness. Let's try to get a perspective. Here's an introduction then. when Nasser had their first man-orbit. There was the request by the astronauts, and the request was that they wanted to have a window in their capsule. It was a high-risk venture at best, and this was adding even more risk, and the technicians and the scientists uh, said, nice to have But no. But they prevailed. Prevailed so much so that, and of course the rest is history, they had this historic journey and something happened. They saw, they saw earth in a different perspective which they wouldn't have had had they not prevailed upon those who may well have known more than them. In other words, they were willing to take the risk in order to see the world from a different or a new perspective. It is seldom the case in the Christian life, in business life, in sporting world, that risks and rewards always go hand in hand. Minimize the risks, minimize the rewards. But somehow some people are prepared to take risks in relationships, in work, in business when it comes to the church, play it safe. Well, that is thoroughly unbiblical. Something similar, I suggest, is happening as Jesus instructs his disciples from the reading here, which we've had, prior to his ascension. It's a period of transition. Transitions are always tricky. Always difficult. Uh, We'll be in a period of transition. And that's going to be exciting and challenging. But in order to carry out their mission, they needed one supreme thing, in addition to everything else. One supreme thing, and it's this. They needed a change of perspective. Which, quite frankly, they would prefer not to have. They needed... A global perspective. Culturally, Jews, from that area, generation after generation, things were going to change that would never be the same again. And some people would long for the good old days. A global perspective. And that which happened to them must happen to every church, every generation. And Luke's opening words Describe this powerful sequence of events. And I'd like to give them to you very briefly in in four stages. The first is this. But these events come as a change of the horizon of these disciples. The first, the sustained appearance of the resurrected Jesus over six weeks. He appeared to them at different times. And had to reappear. And to speak to them and reaffirm his words and his mission. You have that in the reading in verse 3. We too need to trust and obey the resurrected Lord as he speaks to us. Secondly, the change of their narrow, legitimate up to a point, nationalistic agenda. They are Jewish people, after all. They are children of the covenant. They are privileged. They have the law, the prophets. They've got a lot, and they want to keep it. But Jesus wants them to share it, and they are reluctant. And apart from a mighty infilling of the Spirit, they would not have done it. Indeed, they could not. To change this narrow nationalistic agenda. One very cultured lady came up to me in the high street not so long ago and said, what you're doing is not right. The church should be open on Sunday and closed for the rest of the week. That would be respectable. People like that need really to think through why the church is here. Think church, think building. Think people, a pilgrim people. Change their narrow, selfish, nationalistic agenda to move from Jerusalem to Judea and the Samaritans Samaritans whom they disliked intensely. Historians say, in their view, the best Samaritan was a dead one. Who wants to go to them? Like them we are commissioned to herald the good news throughout the world because God is doing good things in many places and he uses, and this is the principle, and it hasn't changed, God uses people to reach people. That's his agenda. It's surprising that he should, but he does. Thirdly, no disciple can engage in this type of task, whether it's to the neighbour next door or to the end of the world, no one can engage in such a task without this first receiving the Spirit's power. You have it in verse 4, 5 and 8 and for the sake of time you can read that. He is the one who transforms cautious disciples and equips them for global mission. It's history now. But as leaders, deacons and elders, we had to work very hard to convince some of you that we needed to plant a church in time, much less anywhere else. I am not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm only saying that over a period of time, we think, church, we've got to survive. We've got to pay our way. We've got to cover ourselves. Now, that's not wrong. But to narrow that down surely is in danger of grieving the spirit, and so we need to stretch and enlarge our horizon. And fourthly, is this the ultimate horizon? Is not the ends of the earth, but in verse 11, that coming again of the Lord Jesus, this same Jesus, this same Jesus. So, there's the mandate, if you like. There you have it. It's quite uh, clear. That like the astronauts, sincere, but willing to take risks, like the technicians and the, the scientists, saying, let's be as safe as we can. And there you have a coming together of minds. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those four things then, a sustained encounter with the resurrected Jesus. He is alive. He's with us by his Spirit. A change of perspective beyond the four walls, beyond the local church. And where are our Judeas, Samarias and so on? Thirdly, a total dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same Jesus will come again as judge of all. There it is. That's it. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? There, I think, is a problem. And it's this. And it might be as much a cultural one as a spiritual one. One of the dangers, if you like, of living in the Western society is this. It is that, and I'm guilty of this, and I guess most of us in varying degrees, and it's this. It is that of self-sufficiency. I mean, if you have conversations with people, they say, why do I need God? I've got the uh, health service for what it's worth, but I've got private insurance, I've got my pension. You know Who needs God? How do you answer people like that? I'm not saying we are thinking like that. Perhaps our presence here is an indication that we do need God. However... We can still operate on a sort of a self-sufficiency level. And by self-sufficiency, I don't mean having an allotment and growing your own vegetables. Although that would be a good idea for some. What it is, it's an attitude. An attitude which says, we have the resources. We've got it. And you know what? We can do it. Now, that can be a good thing and a bad thing. But people who have everything can still say, okay, touch wood, keep your fingers crossed and keep your options open. The point is, after Jesus' call to global witness, we immediately find the disciples adopting a posture from which every church must learn. The risen Lord gives instructions and a promise. Will you trust me? then I will bless you. Looking at this passage again, let me suggest three uh, additional sort of headings for a moment. So there's the problem I suggest to you. The danger of self-sufficiency. Alongside all of our temporal and material blessings is just a greater need for spiritual blessing. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you a key verse. I'd like you to look at this. It's not so obvious. There it is, Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. I suggest to you this is a key verse, particularly for this sermon, but in the whole issue of where you're at in your Christian life. There it is. There's the name of the disciples. This is pre-Pentecost. They are all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary... The mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They join together constantly in prayer. I want to narrow that down to three things, three words, if you like, three keys, key words. Together, constantly, prayer. That's the sermon now. We, that's, as, that's as far as we can go. Together, constantly, prayer. Let's think about prayer for a moment. This is a. They say this, it's very easy to preach about prayer and very hard to pray. I have been going to prayer meetings now for nearly 40 years. Many of which I have endured. What a confession to make. Yeah, but some of you don't endure. You've given up on them. When we pray like this, what are we actually doing? What are we doing when we are praying? Whether it's together or on our own. We are actually saying, something like this, even unconsciously, you're saying, I am dependent on God. When you pray to him, you are saying, I am dependent on you. I need you. I need you for everything. Actually, actually, it is a way of glorifying God. As much as in our praise, in our praying, we're saying, God, only you can do this. I'm in this situation, only you can do it. So prayer is a sort of an appeal to God to help me, help us. On the basis, however, of his character, who he is and what he has said about himself, not what we would like him to say. And if we pray for healing and God doesn't heal, then it's his character, not our loss. Prayer isn't arm-twisting to God. You have uh, on the notice sheet, and I think it's going to come up now, Matthew, if it does. Yes, there it is. We've used this as a sort of uh, an appeal, if you like, in the course of this series to pray for God's Spirit. So, there it is. Just leave it for a while. We don't need to read it out together. No. Just, just think about that. Here is a prayer. Come Holy Spirit. And and apply that to yourself. In praying, I am saying, I need you. And I've I've got a problem in the relationship. I've got difficulty in my family. I've got this and that and health issues. What do you do? Is it DIY religion? I'll do it my way. Or you can ask for God. Now, that is an integral part to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Secondly, here's an interesting thing, and I'm not pushing this too hard because it's self-evident. Together, we are to pray together. It describes these early Christians throughout the book of Acts, not least in their praying, that the frequent context is they were praying together. Thank God if we have quiet times and and prayer groups and all sorts of things, good. But somehow, perhaps being here like this, praying, listening to worship, listening to God's word is an integral part of all of that. But more, together. The frequent reference in the book of Acts was that their togetherness meant not simply a shared meeting place, but a unified sense of purpose the Conservative Party have tried this strap line, haven't they? We're in it together, but somehow the credibility gap seems to have got a lot wider. We are in it together. It is our togetherness in prayer. And thirdly, there it is in verse 14: um, perseverance, or oh, that's an old-fashioned word for constantly 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 in prayer isn't it I know for me it's easy to give up it's very easy to fill the diary with good things and so on and somehow to say well you know I'm I'm really quite busy it's all part with an attitude that is endemic in the West and I suppose throughout the world that uh, we are self-sufficient Uh, You remember somebody told told my father a long time ago um, I'm going to ask God to get me out of this mess and if he does I'll never bother him again. That is a caricature of prayer that is is the the complete opposite. Constantly. It was a a committed and persistent prayer and a sustained priority for the believers. And you have to hang in Hang in. It's this old word, stickability, which in our society is so lacking in in every ways. Well, those are the three words. Let's very quickly try to uh, apply all of this. Now, at this point, may I suggest we need uh, (coughs) some sober reflection. Some sober reflection. Here we are. I'm speaking, you're listening, it's Long Longcranton Baptist Church. I think for the most part we understand the gospel. I think for the most part if you're asked to share our faith, most of us could, a bit like the way David did just now. Here, for us, here, let's try to put our own house in order. At this point. We could give, if you like, the gospel package. But among us, as very fine Christian people, a gap develops. And it's quite a worrying gap. And it's a gap between what we believe and what we experience. And the gap can become a chasm. It can become even wider. The gap between what we believe and what we experience. And we sort of go into a type of spiritual overdrive. In the course of time we become spiritually below par. We lower our expectation. And we defend a sort of theological position whereby we say, well, this is what I believe. And, and surely, as Christian people, isn't it enough? I want to quote to you from a sermon, and indeed I, not only a sermon, but I remember these words being expressed before. Oh, 35 years ago by one of the most famous preachers in the country then, that was Martin Lloyd-Jones. Saying to his fellow um, church leaders with a sense of utter exasperation, these words. And try to uh, take this in. There is nothing, I am convinced, that so quenches the Holy Spirit as the teaching which identifies the baptism of the Spirit with regeneration. But this is a very commonly held teaching today among Christian people. Indeed, it has been a popular view for many years. They say that the baptism of the Spirit is non-experimental. Non-experimental. That it happens to everybody at regeneration. So we say, ah, well, I'm already baptized with the Spirit. It happened when I was born again. It happened at my conversion. There is nothing for me to ask for. I have got it all. Then he says, got it all. Well, if you have got it all, I simply ask you in the name of God, why are you like what you are? If you have got it all, why are you, we so unlike the New Testament Christians? Got it all? Got it all, at conversion? Well, where is it, I ask? Where is it? Now, you can sense, not anger, but sheer frustration, that very fine Christian people are actually saying, well, you know, I go to church, I pray, I'm, I'm born again, you know, I'm going to heaven. But here this mandate says, hold on a minute, you need the power. You need the power outside of yourself, the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to make that to be real and meaningful. Let me quote to you a more modern uh, writer, Eddie Gibbs, who uh, continues to write about church growth. He says this. So listen to this. The level of unemployment in the, na- in the nation pales into insignificance in comparison with that which prevails in the church. As a result... Few people are left doing everything and are totally exhausted, while the rest are underutilized. The church has been likened to a football match. A football match in which thousands of people desperately in need of exercise watch 22 people desperately need of a rest. Now, isn't that true? Do you need exercise? And are you willing to go alongside those folk who really I know human nature such that some of them may not want you to try it anyway. They may be very glad that you do want to give them a rest. And we know from within the diaconate and we know within the church nobody is indispensable until our work is done. Uh, one final quote just so that we have a from different churches and different views of the spirit and so on and so forth. David Watson. In a different tradition, he says, the church for years has been either pulpit-centred or altar-centred. In both situations, the dominant role has been played by the minister or the priest. There it is. The church will only operate with maximum effectiveness when every person uses his or her gift And in order to do so, whatever that gift is, natural or spiritual, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. That is our greatest need. If you don't agree with me, I won't be upset with you. Please tell me what your alternative is. Do please do that. Our generation is in need of this priority today. Our generation of Christian believers, whether we are high church or low, or the free church or Anglican, charismatic or not, whatever, this is our greatest need. There's no question about it. And it seems to me as we narrow that down now, that it's together, constantly, prayer. Now that may not sound terribly clever, but actually it works. And if we are scurrying around looking for new ideas, new visions, when the Spirit says, why don't you pray together? And why don't you stick at it? And why don't you call on the Spirit to fill you? See what will happen. See what will happen. This year, um, the deacons written, no, two years ago, deacons have imposed a sort of a landlord certificate on the man's because of the gas boiler, in the fear that we might have uh, carbon monoxide. Um, So this year the gas man came and uh, the the little pilot light was intermittent, it was faulty, it's interesting to see. The pump was working, everything was normal except for one small problem, that when the pilot light went out, around the manse was pumped cold water. It lacked warmth and power. was doing everything right. But it had no effect whatsoever until he had to come and put a new uh, bit of equipment in so that now the pilot light ignited all the rest of it. Now it seems to me that what we need is this pilot light, the life of Christ within us by the power of the Spirit to ignite our lives, to bring the power that is manifestly lacking so that it may be that our children are going to take more notice of us. That unbelievers within our family say, look, do you want to live like this? Don't you think there could be something else? Do you think that the Gospel might have some impact upon you? So we'll close just with this. Together, in an increasing fragmented society, our society now is increasingly made up of sub -sub What a powerful witness that with all sorts of people and all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of abilities, we are together with one common conviction that the gospel transforms people's lives in the power of the Spirit together in an increasingly fragmented society is a powerful witness. We're in it together. Secondly, constantly, at a time of flux and change, to have an enduring sense of God's abiding blessing is yes. Quite remarkable. So, if we're in it together, saying this word constantly is, and it's for the long haul. It's not a quick fix. This is for the long haul. We're in it together for the long journey. And lastly, prayer. Prayer in a society that is increasingly isolated. To meet at various times, to pray, is such a corrective to our self-sufficiency. I am saying I need God. I depend on him. I depend on him. And you know, the rest, of course, as we say, is history. But who would have thought, thinking of us, one here, the coming of the Spirit... Who would have thought that the prayers of the Christians in the catacombs of Rome, in contrast to the cultured superpower of Rome, a pilloried sect, as they were called, could make the pavement shake and finally Rome would fall. And the gospel would grow and increase and continues to do so remarkably. And a key to it, for sure, is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray together constantly. Let's do that now. Lord, we thank you as we try to apply this to ourselves. So much of our lives are overlaid with tradition, some of which are good and some things are not. And with prejudice and the way that we are convinced that things should be done. And Lord, sometimes even the best of us are captive to past experience. That somehow we think that the only way to do it is the way that you've always done it. That you do good things. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you continue to pour out your Spirit upon all people, that you are no respecter of person. So would you pour out your Spirit upon us, fill us anew, empower us to do your will and give us a confidence that is not Ours, but yours. And give us a peace that is not born of circumstance, but given by your Spirit. So we pray once more. Come, come, Holy Spirit. For the glory of your name. Amen.